Hello and welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your favorite team every, not single day right now, but every other day for the time being. For those of you who are new to the podcast, my name is Ian McLaren. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Ian C. McLaren. The show also has a Twitter handle, and that is at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Under normal circumstances, like I mentioned, this is a daily Boston Bruins podcast, but uh, right now through the COVID-19 era, we are down to uh, about three shows a week while the NHL is on pause and we all kind of wade through this new reality that we find ourselves in. Today on the podcast, uh, well, for the next couple of weeks, really, we're going to be looking at some of the greatest teams in franchise history. And this week, we're going to be focusing on the 2011 Boston Bruins. For the last couple of weeks, I've done a Movie Monday uh, segment where I looked at both Goon and Goon, Last of the Enforcers. So if you want to go back and listen to those movie reviews, uh, please do so. For this week's Movie Monday, I, over the weekend, watched the 2011 Stanley Cup Championship DVD Blu-ray. I actually found it on YouTube. Uh, so if you want to pause now and watch that before continuing on, uh, I encourage you to do so because it really was a great watch. Uh, we'll also, yeah, I'm also just going to share some reflections from the 2011 Stanley Cup win and also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL. New listeners, I encourage you to subscribe, download, rate and review the show wherever it is that you found this podcast, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. Uh, Apple reviews in particular are very meaningful as they help to, um, yeah, just continue to build the spread of the show and its reach. And and, uh, yeah, I really would appreciate it if you were able to take a look at that uh, sometime today. So as I mentioned over the weekend, I watched the Boston Bruins 2011 Stanley Cup run video, which begins with Bobby Orr, uh, you know, talking about how special the city of Boston is and how great it is to win a championship in that city. Of course, he was the star member of the Bruins previous to Stanley Cup championship teams prior to that time. Um coming in 1970 and 1972. The Bruins had been in the final back in 1990. That was kind of when I really began uh, loving this team. I became a fan because my dad was a Bobby Orr fan and then by extension a Bruins fan. And then my sister, who's a few years older than I am, she was a massive Edmonton Oilers fan back in you know, the Gretzky-Messier era. She really loved Marc Messier, uh, and so during the 1990 final, when the Bruins were playing the Oilers, I really put the gas on my Bruins fandom, and uh, really just wanted to piss her off, uh, as a little brothers are wont to do at that time. Uh, so that's when my uh, Bruins love really reached its peak as a kid, and then it's obviously stuck since then, and... Uh, unfortunately, from 1990 to 2010, there wasn't really much success to speak of. Uh, sorry, 2011. And uh, we all know over the past decade, it's been uh, quite a blessing for us Bruins fans to have gone to three finals, 
win the one championship. And now, you know, this season before the pause, the Bruins were the top team in the NHL. And hopefully we can get back to uh, hockey action at some point this year and see if the Bruins can get their names on the Stanley Cup, albeit in uh, an odd format. Uh, And some ideas are being bandied about. We'll get to that a little later on in uh, the podcast. Now, a few things that stood out to me about the 2011 Stanley Cup run. Obviously, the first thing was uh, the huge comeback versus the Canadians. Uh, It's very easy. Well, maybe not. I think about it all the time, actually. The fact that the Bruins were down 2-0, to the Canadians in that series after having lost two games on home ice. So they had a very daunting task of going into Montreal and trying to at least win one game out of that series. Uh, sorry, out of that those two games in Montreal. They were able to win both with game four coming in overtime, uh, which was huge. That could have gone either way. As we all know, they lost... Uh, sorry, they won game five, lost game six back in Montreal, and then, of course, game seven back in Boston, which was won in overtime by Nathan Horton, who had a f- couple huge goals in that series, uh, a couple huge game-winning goals, including uh, in game five. They were able, of course, to uh, shed the, what you would call it, the ghost of 2010, We all know that they lost in the second round against the Philadelphia Flyers that year after amassing a 3-0 series lead and then going up 3-0 even in Game 7 and losing that game. Uh, The loss of David Krejci in that series was huge and uh, the championship video really plays up on the impact that Krejci had on this team, how important he is uh, when healthy and how they wanted to not only... um, yeah, just maximize the opportunity against Philadelphia, but also to get the job done in as few games as possible, which they were able to do. Now, the uh, Eastern Conference final series was also very up and down, very much like the series against the Canadians. Um, We all remember the fact that they lost in Game 1 on home ice, uh, they did win the next two games, although uh, Patrice Bergeron was forced to miss some time there due to a concussion that he suffered, I believe, in game one or two. I can't remember. And that really allowed Tyler Sagan to step up. And uh, another thing, yeah, that I really noticed was the fact that, you know, his four game, sorry, four point performance in game two of the Eastern Conference Finals was. Massive for the Bruins. Uh, We all know that his career with the Bruins was all too short-lived, but the fact that he uh, was able to break out with that four-point game in Game 2 really saved Boston from going down 0-2 once again. And, uh, you know, while the series did still go seven games, that was just a massive performance for the rookie at that time. Um, The Bruins did see big issues come back in game four as they went up three nothing in that game and then lost five three so another very disappointing uh you know comeback loss in that one took care of things in game five as they did against montreal lost in tampa bay in game six and then we all remember game seven of 
the Eastern Conference Final. And I just wanted to share something uh, that I had written about that game uh, called The Time Hockey Made Me Cry, actually. <laughs> so bear with me. Uh, it's an emotional time these days. And this one really came back to me as um, as I was watching the video over the weekend of how much that goal by Nathan Horton really meant to me. So this is something that I wrote a few years back about that. I said, there's nothing wrong with crying. I don't tear up as much as I used to. Having said that, my first memory of crying comes from a kindergarten when I slipped on some ice outside school and busted up my chin and had to get stitches. In grade three or four, someone tossed a pencil at me and it landed in my glasses, poking me in the eye. I cried then and was so embarrassed when the teacher helped wipe my nose that I yelled honk into the tissue. I absolutely wept when uh, my... Then girlfriend, now wife, decided to work at a different camp during the summer we were first dating, which is pretty embarrassing in retrospect. I cried on our wedding day, when each of our sons was born, when our youngest was undergoing a procedure at four months to have a heart issue repaired, and of course when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and many times during her treatment. These days, I mostly get emotional watching an episode of This Is Us. When one of our boys tells a story from school about kids not including them, I wrote this as a side note in the pre-COVID-19 era. Uh, these days, things are much more emotional and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, fairly common for a tear or two to be shed around our home these days. As far as I can remember, hockey has only made me cry once and that was back in 2011 when the Bruins had just won Game 7. They did it three times that year. And the one that got me emotional might not be the one that you'd expect. Um, like I said, the team hadn't um, achieved much success since the 90s. And um, we had that infamous collapse against Philadelphia in 2010. The run in 2011 almost didn't happen with, with Montreal going up 2-0 in the series. And, um, you know, Nathan Horton came up big in those, like I said, no tears up to that point, however. That would come in round three. The Bruins were once again faced with a game seven on home ice, this time against Tampa Bay. Vancouver had already won out west, and as the President's Trophy winners were sitting pretty as the Stanley Cup favorites, awaiting their next combatants. Be that as it may, all I wanted was for the Bruins to have a shot at winning it all. The game remained painstakingly scoreless until late in the third period, when Horton once again clinched it with a sweet feed from David Krejci, the Bruins held on, and as the celebrations began, I indeed started crying. We had a nine-month-old baby, and he and Lauren were both sleeping at the time, so I went out into the backyard, raised my hands in the air, and let out a whispery, teary, celebratory cry into the atmosphere. If my neighbors had looked out the window right then, they would have thought I was nuts, to be honest. It does seem silly looking back, crying over a game played by people I've never met, I was certainly overtired at the time, and I had never really seen my favorite team advance to the final with years of disappointment behind me. The fact that it was up in the air until the very end set it apart from Game 7 of the next round, which was one with far less dramatics and was enjoyed by yours truly with smiles and beers. I'm not sure if it will ever happen again either, even if the Bruins were to go all the way this year or in the future. I'm not really in that space anymore. My head and heart don't have as much emotional real estate for hockey fandom as they used to. 
and my time writing full-time about hockey helped me learn, appreciate good stories all over the NHL, and therefore become less invested in one particular outcome. Still, I'll never forget that moment. Horton from Krejci, forever. And you know what? I actually lied because the Bruins did return to the final last year, and I did indeed um, shed a tear, and that was as a result of an injured Zdeno Chara coming out of the ice in full gear to accept the Prince of Wales trophy. Um, and also when Cam Neely came down to personally congratulate the players on their way back to the locker room, that really did get me. So, um, yeah, unfortunately they weren't able to get the job done last year, but those two moments, uh, really got me pretty emotional last year for sure. Honestly, there were so many things that came up while I was watching this video. Uh, you know, Tim Thomas, just unbelievable. It's, it's easy to forget just how not only how good he was but how he did it um just acrobatic saves there's no reason why a guy of his form should be making those kind of acrobatic saves it's it's pretty ridiculous and uh, he was just so entertaining the whole back and forth between him and Luongo about bumping tires was obviously amazing uh, I was struck by Andrew Ference talking about how losing Game six of the Stanley Cup final in 2004 when he was a member of the Calgary Flames, how that stuck with him and how he was able to remind the Bruins that after they had won game six against Vancouver, that, you know, to really keep the the foot on the pedal because Vancouver was likely reeling after that and how, how great that was. Uh, I was reminded of how important the additions of Rich Peverly and Chris Kelly were. Um, just the inspired play of Mark Recchi, Michael Ryder's contributions and his crazy save against the Canadians, Zdeno Chara's save against the Canucks, uh, Bobby Orr waving the Nathan Horton flag, Nathan Horton handing the jacket to Rich Peverly after game four, and also dumping the water on the ice uh, prior to game seven against Vancouver. Speaking of Mark Recchi, I actually was able to uh, interview him uh, at the Hockey Hall of Fame when he was inducted back in uh, 2018. And uh, at that time, I was working at the score, and I was sent down to uh, talk to the class that year, which was made up of uh, Mark Recchi and Dave Andrewchuk, among others. And I was able to ask Mark Recchi about... Um, finishing his career, going out on top. Uh, since 2001, there were three players who appeared in over 1,000 regular season games who opted to step away from the NHL upon winning Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final. That was Ray Bork of the Colorado Avalanche, Ken Danico of the New Jersey Devils, and Mark Recchi in 2011. Of course, it was the latter who was inducted into the sorry 2017 Hall of Fame and... Uh, you know, he confirmed his retirement in an interview with Pierre Maguire during the on-ice aftermath of an emotional victory over the Canucks in Vancouver. And he told me that he knew the time was right and he would have made the same call, actually, if the Bruins had lost. He said, I pretty much had my mind set. I called Sean Thornton the night before Game 7 and told him it was going to be my last game the next day. So I pretty much had my mind made up. It was a long run. I played 120 games, I think, that year. Sorry, 110, something like that. 
I was 43. It would have taken a lot to get where I needed to be in September. I think mentally I was at a point where I wouldn't have been able to do it. And so, you know, how great it was that he was able to um, win and go out on top. It was Andrew Chuck, Timo Solani, Paul Correa, and Claire Drake, Danielle Goyette, and Jeremy Jacobs were also inducted that year. Uh, so that was really cool for me to be able to uh, talk to Mark Recchi about that. And also, one other thing about the 2011 run that was very special to me is the fact that Rich Peverly is from where I'm living, uh, Guelph, Ontario, and he was able to bring the Stanley Cup back and host a celebration at the local uh, OHL arena called the Sleeman Center. And I was able to go and, um, you know, get a picture with him, take our youngest son at the time. Uh, Rich Peverly has actually been on this podcast. If you want to scroll through the uh, past episodes, you can hear him talk about what it meant for him to be a part of the 2011 team to get traded from the Atlanta Thrashers to the Bruins at that time. And, um, you know, that was one of the great things for me was to be able to go and uh, see him with the cup, get my picture taken with him. If you remember for Peverly, it was quite a uh, long journey to the NHL and especially to the Stanley Cup. Um, he was drafted by the OHL's Mississauga Ice Dogs during the Don Cherry era, uh, but he decided against going the junior hockey route, and he went and played at St. Lawrence University instead. Um, he was not drafted, and he began his pro career in the ECHL with the South Carolina Stingers. Uh, he then made the jump to the AHL's Milwaukee Admirals, was eventually signed by the Nashville Predators, and... Uh, after being waived by Nashville, he was claimed by Atlanta and um, put up 124 points in 180 games and earned the first long-term contract of his career, uh, two years, <laughs> 2.6 million seasons, um, and even played for Germany, or sorry, played for Canada at the 2010 World Championships. Uh, in February of 2011, Peverly, along with Boris Valabic, was acquired by the Bruins in exchange for Blake Wheeler and Mark Stewart. Um, as Peverly said on this podcast, part of that was to make way uh, for the addition of Thomas Caberlet from the Maple Leafs to get some um, cap space there. Peverly scored two goals for the Bruins in the final, both of which came in Game 4. That was the game that Horton gave him the jacket. Uh, the first one being scored on a breakaway against Roberto Luongo, which was amazing. Uh, that game tied the series for the Bruins. And uh, obviously, you know, we all know they went on to win. Um, so then on July 27th of that year, I joined a large group of local Bruins fans. There's tons of Bruins fans up here in Southern Ontario, for those of you who don't know. And we celebrated the cup win together, thanking Rich for his role in the victory. Uh, I got him to sign a puck. And we took a picture together. I personally wasn't able to go to Boston for the parade, but that little slice of the pie was was amazing for me to be uh, a part of. And, and I really appreciate the fact that Rich brought the cup and opened it up to the public and uh, that we were able to share that moment. And uh, yeah, Rich has been gracious enough to come on the podcast before and perhaps uh, we'll check in with him again in the past, oops, in the past, in the future. So please do 
check out that episode. So that does it for the reflections on the 2011 win. Uh, my review of the DVD is, yeah, is a great. If you haven't watched it recently, I do suggest you do so. Um, I know Nesson is showing all the games from that run currently. So, you know, if you're investing each night in each of those games, then more power to you. But this was a great uh, kind of summary of that run and uh, something that I very much enjoyed watching over the weekend. Let's end now with some news and notes from around the NHL. So today is Monday, April 6th, and the NHL has a 3 p.m. Eastern Time conference call with the Board of Governors. They've tried to keep teams updated throughout this pause since March 12th. Uh, Donald Trump had a conference call with the heads of all the major sports leagues in North America talking about you know getting people back into game action as soon as possible, even if it means playing in front of some empty arenas. There was an uh, idea floated around by Elliot Freeman of Sportsnet saying the NHL and the PA are spitballing scenarios where the remainder of the season and playoff games could be played in neutral sites. One suggestion is staging a tournament-style schedule in Grand Forks, North Dakota, which you know is an area that's pretty remote, but has the facilities to host uh, these major events. They hosted the the World Juniors in the past, you know, NCAA facilities. I still don't really get how that would work because of you know social distancing. Um, even if you're playing in front of empty arenas, there's still the bringing all the players to the area, all the trainers, all the staff, um, bringing all those people from around North America and even the world uh, doesn't really seem like a great idea. So I'm not really sure how that will work. I believe Manchester, New Hampshire was also a site that was floated as a possible neutral site area. But, you know, um, yeah, we'll see. If and when that actually happens, I'm uh, pretty skeptical that we're going to see sports anytime soon. I guess the Masters came out and said today that they'd like to host the event in November. Uh, but again, still, we're right in the middle of uh, COVID-19. The spread of the virus is still very rampant. And um, I think we're kind of talking hockey just in the hopes that something will happen, but I don't, I'm not optimistic. Let me put it that way. Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski had a great update on ESPN today. Just kind of reiterating that the NHL has not wavered in its stance that it wants to resume play, even if it means playing in August. Uh, Emily wrote, as the days go on, that seems less and less likely. And again, they're going to have that conference call today. Um, Trump's conference call doesn't really affect the NHL's plan because it's unclear if medical experts and local authorities view uh, what he's suggesting as a realistic timeline kind of later in the summer, um, especially with the players that have gone on to return home to um, Europe. As Greg Wyshynski says, the NHL is adamant that the time to make a decision is much further down the road. NHL has looked at availability through July and August. 
Um, the f- league's first preference remains to finish all or part of the regular season games. There were 189 remaining on the schedule, and then jumping into some sort of um, tinkered playoff format after that uh, is a possibility that games will be played in empty arenas. Uh, but again, um, holding the postseason in a single venue isn't the NHL's preference because of cash flow, tickets, and all that. And of course, bringing everybody into one area might not be uh, the best idea. Holding the games in cavernous, empty buildings might not make it the most aesthetically pleasing viewing experience. Uh, If they do it in a smaller space, they can maybe make it a bit more of a fun uh, viewing experience. But again, uh, a lot of things up in the air. NHL Board of Governors to meet here on Monday. And we'll see if there's any clarity from that. Although it really seems like a decision is uh, several weeks away at this point. Uh, I wanted to mention today, like I said, is April 6th. On this day in 2018, the Humboldt Broncos organization uh, suffered that uh, devastating bus accident where uh, 29 people, players, staff, coaches lost their lives. Uh, We are thinking of all the families today, remembering that accident, paying tribute to them, and uh, if you're able, put some sticks out on your porch today to, you know, honor all who were lost in that accident. I remember I was uh, working that night at the score and saw the news developing at the time, waiting for confirmation and just, uh, you know, sickened at the thought of what was transpiring out in Saskatchewan. And uh, yeah, very emotional and uh, just thinking about my kids playing hockey, all the people we know who travel for hockey, and um, yeah, it's just uh, very uh, deeply saddening, the whole thing, and uh, again, we just are praying for the families today and and hope that uh, they're all doing well and, uh, you know, feeling support today despite all the social distancing that's going on. I believe that's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Later in the week, we'll keep uh, looking back at the 2011 team and yeah, just thinking of better days. I hope you're all doing well. I am currently going through the third season of Ozark, which has been excellent so far. And, uh, also watching community, which has popped back up on Netflix when I need a laugh and a boost. Uh, that show is always good for some entertainment, um, and yeah, just trying to read, get outside as much as possible. We're lucky enough to have a yard and a driveway, uh, so we can get outside without going too far from home. Uh, so that's really a bonus as well. I hope you are all taking care. If you need to reach me, you can find me at ENC McLaren. You can also follow the podcast at LO underscore Boston Bruins and yeah, hit that subscribe button, download every day, leave a rating, a review, and, uh, I hope you all take care and we'll talk to you again soon. Peace.